Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition, a delicious range of sumptuously smooth dark chocolate. You're listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. Later on, I'll be talking to Julie James, a 20-year-old trans woman from County Kildare, about a new online resource launched by Youth Work Ireland this week called Young and Trans in Rural Ireland. But first, I'm joined in studio by my Irish Times colleagues, Bernice Harrison and Amy O'Connor, to talk about what is on their cultural radar at the moment. First up is Beyonce, obviously. And Amy, you got up very early to watch her Netflix documentary, Homecoming. Basically, this new documentary is kind of a part concert film, part behind the scenes documentary. Now, most of it, I'd say about two hours, 20 minutes, about two hours of it is just the concert. But if you're like me and you've been watching like grainy YouTube clips for the last year, trying to revisit that Coachella performance, this was kind of a godsend. So, uh, you know, glorious kind of high definition parts that are shot in like super eight footage. So it's really, really good. And then after maybe five songs, they go to like a behind the scenes um Kind of, they, maybe they explore like the choreography or the styling or her post-pregnancy, but it is amazing. It is so good. So the thing is, Bernice, you haven't seen it and no. I haven't seen it either. I'm dying to, but uh, it seems to have reached people who weren't necessarily considered themselves part of the Bayhive, or is that what you call it, Amy? The Bayhive, okay, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for that. Um, but you know, it seems to have gone beyond because it's just she's so incredible um, that people are just who who haven't necessarily appreciated her as much before mm-hmm. are really loving it. Yeah, I think over the last couple of years, I think people have maybe grown to appreciate her as probably our greatest living entertainer, you know, definitely in the mould of a Prince or a Michael Jackson. And I think they've kind of seen, maybe for years she was seen as maybe just a pop star, kind of, you know, flimsy. But now I think they're seeing her as a kind of artist with this very, very grand vision. Um, Like even in this documentary, the amount of people that she name checks, like Nina Simone or Audre Lorde or Maya Angelou, like she's kind of she's following in their footsteps or at least she sees that she is. You know, and is, it a, is it a really sort of packaged documentary? You know, because all these documentaries, you know, they're so controlled, they're so mm-hmm. packaged. Did you feel you got... Did you learn anything? Did you feel that they showed anything behind mm. the veneer? You no, know? no, I think, <laughs> no, I think, <laughs> in a word, no, I think, uh, like at the end of it, it says directed, written, and executive produced by Beyonce. Oh, okay. So this is a very she's controlling her message. Yeah, 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 and she's very media shy. She hasn't done an interview in years and years now. So she, well, I wouldn't say shy, but she's no. very much, she's <laughs> very much in control yeah. of her narrative. And so, yeah. But having said that, Amy, were there bits in that that you're like, oh, I love that bit, or that? What were the, the moments for? You. you know, I think where she spoke about returning after the pregnancy. So she gave birth. She was originally slated to play Coachella in 2017 and then she fell pregnant with her twins and she gave birth. Um, and, you know, she went the day she gave birth, she was 218 pounds. So in the documentary, she talks about having to, you know, lose that weight, get back to kind of fighting shape. But she had an emergency cesarean section. So, you know, it took longer. And I think she kind of talks about, you know, just that experience of 
you know, worrying that she'd never regain her previous strength or her endurance. And I mean, that must have been pretty terrifying yeah, given that... Sure, that's her job. That's her job, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think um, I think that was quite interesting. And there's lovely little shots as well of her you know, with her children, with Jay-Z. So you see that kind of uh, domesticity maybe. And so those kind of bits were... So why did she do it now? Like, why now? You know, you say she's, she doesn't really put herself forward so much for interviews. Why, why now? What's the... She, what she does is once a year, she does drop something. So this is a year to the, year to the week since she last played at Coachella. And that's kind of what it is. Every couple of years, she's released a documentary. I mean, oh, she's right. done, she's done two documentaries, I think, with HBO before. And is this Netflix? This is Netflix. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So much wider audience uh, than HBO, which is also kind of commendable in one way that she's bringing this you know the whole show was about historically historically black colleges and universities and I think to bring that to a really wide global audience is quite commendable and quite interesting. Just to finish on this you mentioned something on Twitter Amy I saw because I follow you uh, about some sequin dress yes. moment tell us about that. So there is a moment in the documentary where um, she has been starving herself for you know weeks on end. So, Which so, isn't good No listeners. it's not good it's not good but she uh, abstained from carbs, bread, dairy, meat fish oh, and alcohol. Oh, so I think that left fruit what, and vegetables air, maybe. Air, yeah, what, air and water yeah. lovely. Mm, but, Alistair, but she gets back into this lovely sequined costume and she's very very excited so she gets her assistant to FaceTime Jay-Z and she's like oh you know look like I'm fitting into the costume and his reaction is so muted and so unsatisfactory like he's just like okay cool and that's it and she's like okay just wanted to tell you and then her and her assistant kind of have a little commiseration about how useless oh, men are in those Do we find it interesting actually. that uh, Beyonce wanted that in the documentary? Because I find that very interesting. Yeah, I guess. Um, why, why do you find it interesting? I mean, like, yeah. that she wanted to show Jay-Z as this, um, you know, not like, you know, because there's a kind of, well, not we know cool, they've had yeah. their problems, yeah. I'd say, but yeah, yeah, yeah. showing very visibly, like, he's not all that and, you know, he doesn't give me what I need all the time kind of thing. Yeah, I think, you know, there's other parts in the documentary where you just see them interacting and they seem like a fairly normal couple. Like, he seems, you know, great in some ways and then kind of useless <laughs> in other ways. Yeah, yeah. But I think maybe it is, I think part of maybe this whole narrative is about restoring you know, public, not public trust in their relationship, but obviously after the whole cheating scandal, I think people were a little bit unsure about that relationship. So I think they're just trying to put forward a united front. Yeah, now. but also normal front, which normal I think front, that's what exactly, I'm trying to say. Exactly, I think yeah, they yeah. Could, they could, you could uh, cut it in a, in a way that makes it look like, oh, it's all wonderful all the time. Mm-hmm. And she clearly hasn't done that. So no. I think that's to her credit. Yeah, yeah. For many things that are to her credit. <laughs> we love her. I'll be watching it, Bernice, with you. I will watch it, yeah. Ba- Amy, you can go back to your desk now. We've done with <laughs> you because you, you are our Beyonce correspondent <laughs> and we're going to carry on with, with Bernice's cultural um, events. So, Bernice, what have you well, been I up to? Well, I had a big culture week last week because I was at the Copenhagen Architecture Festival so it, which was absolutely fantastic, where Copenhagen puts on um, amazing talks and shows uh, about the contemporary architecture in Copenhagen, of which there is an abundance. But of course, what I love most about the city, because I'd never been in there before, was that you cycle everywhere. And oh, I know you're yeah, a cyclist. I love, love a bit of cycling. But ha- have you been to Copenhagen? No. Okay, well. The cycle paths are, you know, twice the width of ours. Oh, they're raised. Yeah. They're entirely separate from the road. Gorgeous. And you get right away most most ways. Yeah. So you just cycle everywhere. So the hotel yeah. I stayed in, they they had bikes um, and everybody's cycling. Um, and this thing, I think you like this this thing. So one night um, I was at a party and the, the, the 
Copenhagen uh, Architecture Festival, loads of parties, loads of events, loads of get-togethers. The Danes seem to really enjoy themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, at this party late at night, I thought, oh God, you know that feeling when you have the bike and you think, oh, I have to cycle mm. home, okay? So the hotel was maybe four kilometres. The, the restaurant was in the meatpacking district. So I highly recommend you go there. Great restaurants in Copenhagen. Um, and the, 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 the Danish guy beside me said, but you get a taxi. He'll take your bike. Oh, and so he good. did. So out I went, hailed the taxi. The nice man in the giant Mercedes stopped, gets out, gets this gizmo from the boot, Fantastic. puts it on the on the back of his car, whips my bike They're on just it, so civilized, and these. drove five yeah. kilometers home. That's lovely, isn't that fun? Now tell me about uh, from Copenhagen to Ballymun because you went to the yes, Redis- well, Rediscovery you know Centre. It's not too big a leap because <laughs> no, it's not because so much about the festival, the the Copenhagen Architecture Festival was about sustainability. Sustainability is a big theme. It's a big theme in any architecture festival, design festival you go to now, even Salon de Mobile in, in, in Milan this, this month. But um, I, I discovered, and maybe maybe after everybody else, I don't know, does everybody know the Rediscovery Centre in Ballymun? It's extraordinary. It's the National Centre for the Circular Economy. Oh, it's I extraordinary. Did not know that. So, um, I discovered it last month because I did a course in cushion making. Okay. Now, there, <laughs> I, there is never a craft course that I don't like. So, this was a Saturday afternoon learning how to make cushions with just an amazing teacher, an absolutely really inspiring woman called Carrie Ann Morn. And this, the, what the, the Rediscovery Centre in Ballymun looks like. On the ground floor, there are all these studios. So you go into the stu- sewing studio. There's a whole line of sewing machines uh, against one wall. And against the other wall, there's just like a wall of fabrics. You choose the fabrics, you make a yeah. cushion. How gorgeous is that? Anyway. Sounds like Project Runway a bit. Well, <laughs> you know what? They could do a Project Runway. And you could fix bikes. You can do courses in upholstery. You can do courses in everything. And they have an amazing shop. And you'd love it because they have upcycle furniture. Oh, love a bit of And the upcycle furniture is just Fabulous. Um, so that's all in the show. So we're up telling there. everyone to go to this We're, ta- centre we're, we're in telling Ballymun. more to the point because there's a circular fashion conference on on the 26th of April in the Rediscovery Centre, and the speakers are extraordinary. As it happens, they're all women. I, there's, there's no great reason for that. I don't think maybe women are more advanced in understanding sustainable clothing and exploring those designs or whatever. So you've got Safia Mini, who founded People Tree, which is a label I think a lot of us know. Um, she's uh, recognised by the World Economic Forum as an outstanding social entrepreneur and a leading influencer in sustainability. There's also Vicky Brennan, who has um, a, a label called Proudly Made in Africa. So there's several people okay. doing making sustainable uh, clothing uh, at this conference. So, you know, I'd, I'd urge anybody who's interested in fashion, interested, interested in sustainability, to, to, to have a look at it, to, to have a look at going there well, for the day. that is very good. Now, the podcast you're listening to at the moment is something I have listened to already and I loved, The Dropout Comple- with Elizabeth Holmes. Completely love it. Um, I do. I sort of remember reading about I Elizabeth. Remember reading you do about you, in yeah. Vanity Fair yeah. in New York and everything because she was she was all everywhere. that, wasn't she? She was everywhere. So this is a six part uh, podcast, and you know, the, I think the good reason to recommend podcasts maybe. I fall on people who tell me about what podcasts they're listening to. You know, remember years ago? Yeah. You know, you what say what film have you seen or what book are you reading? Now, what do you listen to? Um, so anyway, The Dropout is a six-parter. Um, she, if you remember, she she dropped out of Stanford University. That's that's why it's The Dropout. And at 19, she, she was named the youngest self-made female billionaire in the world. Billionaire. And she was heralded as the next Steve Jobs. And as we learn in this podcast, I'm not going to give too much away, but 
she sort of kind of kind of tried to be street like she wore the polonex and she deepened her voice it was very strange um anyway her company is was called Tyrannus Terranos Terranus yeah. biotech company which is all about um the the basic thing of it was that she could take her new technology that she said she had uh you could take a tiny bit of blood and in that tiny bit of blood you could you know test for 25 30 illnesses you know 200 oh really oh, yeah. Uh, yeah hundreds and you could um it was going to change the world change because the world. imagine if you don't have to have all these iv drips out Completely. of you it's one prick of yeah. prick of blood and then straight away you can find out the earliest that's what she said earliest stages of cancer yeah. so her whole thing was you don't have to say goodbye before you, yeah. you times you had all these phrases yeah but anyway, it was all a load of crock, really, because, wasn't but it? But what was fascinating was she raised $1 billion in venture capital because everybody piled in. She was very attractive and appealing. The concept was attractive. So it was one of these mad Silicon Valley bubbles. Um, but now she's facing 20 years in prison. Yeah, but she's also very <laughs> happily loved up with some uh, hotel air because I Googled her oh, after the okay. podcast. <laughs> okay. So she seems to be... But what I got from that whole thing, and people can listen and make up their own minds, mm. but it seemed to me like all these men, particularly older men, just fell they under her troll. spell. They were and it wasn't her. even just a purely like physical sort of attraction thing. No. It was bigger than that. It, it was. was like they were literally mesmerised by, by her. I mean, uh, it's Henry Kissinger was on the board mm, yeah. and all these big, well, big wheels in well, American politics. I think the politics. whole thing, you know, she'd youth, beauty... So there was a notion that she was the next big thing. Yeah. Everybody's afraid. It was like the emperor's new completely. clothes situation. It was the biggest example of FOMO. You yeah. know, because basically, ever let's just say, without spoilers, because it's, it's been widely. <laughs> she yeah. didn't have any of this technology. It doesn't exist. It would be marvelous if someone invented it, but it didn't she happen. Talked a great game. But it's, a, it's a brilliant podcast. It's I have to brilliant. say, it's by ABC, and the presenter yeah. is, is great as well. Six parts. Listen to it. The dropout. And finally, this is something you haven't seen, but something we should no, all go and see. I want to see Wild Rose, yeah, the new too. movie uh, about a woman trying to be a country star a Glaswegian and it's starring Jessie Buckley and I think you know the, the reason I want to go to see it is that I remember in 2008 if you remember the reality show I'll Do Anything um, it was where people had to audition to be part of an Andrew Lloyd Webb, Webber musical yeah. it was BBC and Graham reality. Norton presented it oh, yes he yeah. did it was yeah. fantastic it was and it went on for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks I just remember it because I associate that time with watching reality shows because my daughter was at, at in 2008 she was 8 so I remember we watched it it was the weekend and because when your kids are small you're not out of the weekend you know and it was just fantastic so I remember Jessie Buckley from that she was fantastic she won it was brilliant so actually that's kind of I want to go to Wild yeah. Rose for but weirdly nostalgic reasons. she is getting such great reviews mm. for this uh, so it's really like uh, you know she's becoming a breakout star and it's interesting someone who came from that background a reality TV background because she went on to do West End shows yeah. I mean, oh, she became yeah. a but big, that was kind of the prize yeah that it? was the yeah. prize she was going to star yeah. in um, it's Oliver isn't yeah, it that Oliver, she's going to be yeah. in and now she's there in this movie Amazing. and I think there's a real thirst for these kind of movies if you think of the Lady Gaga one as well Star is Born Definitely. people want to see these um, kinds of films so Fair yeah, play to no, Jesse so Buckley. Yeah, fair play, yeah. Well, thank you very so much. You uh, want Bernice. to talk about um, the time? I just want to say, yes, that it's wonderful that um, the Together for Yes crew, Gronya Griffin, Orlo Connor of the National Women's Council, and Alva Smith, who led Together for Yes, the campaign to repeal the Eighth Amendment, and did so so brilliantly, uh, were named as Time 100's most influential people in the world for 2019. I just think that's fantastic. Beautiful picture of them. Uh, great coverage. And I I think it's a it's sort of a, a win for everyone who helped in that campaign and 
they certainly were making a big hurrah about it yesterday and I just wanted to say well done to the three women, Grony Griffin, Alva Smith and Orla O'Connor. So yeah, it's a lovely news story, I think. Well, thank you very much. Amy O'Connor, who's gone back to her desk, she's such a hard worker for talking to us about Beyonce and Bernice as well. We're going to have people from our Irish Times office coming in every so often talking about various cultural highlights of their life and that was a great way to start it. And actually, Bernice, it was your idea, so thanks very much for that. Green and Black's Velvet Edition range brings a variety of signature flavours, introducing a smoother, velvety taste with a premium chocolate experience and all with our Green and Black's promise of the finest ingredients and ethically sourced cocoa. This week, Youth Work Ireland launched a new resource for young people and their educators. Young and Trans in Rural Ireland, it's a booklet and it's also online, is going to be made available to schools across the country. And it's also going to be used by those who work with young people in order to help them to become the best trans allies they can be and make Ireland a more trans-inclusive place. So to talk about this resource and about her own personal experience as a trans woman, I'm delighted to be joined by 20-year-old Julie James from County Kildare. Julie, we're so glad you came in to talk to us about this new resource and we're going to talk about the resource. But first of all, I want to get to know you a little bit. So tell us about your life, where you were born and growing up and all that. Basically, I I grew up in like a tiny, tiny village in Kildare. Um, it's, it's like just a bunch of estates mashed together. Um, and everyone knows one another. Um, and sort of, it's it's very quiet. It's typical, like, rural Ireland. When I was growing up, it wasn't like I wouldn't have known any, like, gay people, LGBT people, anyone. And I only, like, figured out what what trans people were about, like, age 16. So, um, yeah, that was, like, a shock to the system, sort of, when you find out about this this, like, minority group and then... Like six months later, you're like, oh, well, that's me. (laughs) And you don't know where to go from there. And you're stuck like in a little village. And you have like no one to relate to. Yeah. Yeah. And you're the youngest of six. Yeah. So some people might say that you were born a boy, but the Mm -hmm. correct terminology and the appropriate terminology is that you were assigned the gender of boy when you were born. So growing up in that assigned gender, what was that like for you? Um, Living at home with my family, it was... I had like the perfect childhood almost. Um, I wasn't really, really stuck in my gender, basically. Um, I remember growing up, um, my favorite toys were Littlest Pet Shop. Um, at the time, I was like, other animals. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really, I, I'm, love animals. I still love animals to this day, but I think it was more that I was able to play with girls' toys without it being like hyper feminine because these were just little animal toys. <laughs> um, but um, like my parents, my brothers and sisters were completely supportive of everything. I was never like stuck to be the the stereotypical boy. I was never into sports. I was never, I didn't really have that many male friends. My two best friends all through primary school were two girls. Um, and I would just enjoy like playing on the playground, skipping with the girls or playing with Littlest Pet Shop toys. And nothing was said about that. Um, not even from like my male peers in school. They would, wouldn't bat an eye at it. But I, they were completely friendly with me still. I was never really judged. 
I guess, when I was growing up. And my brothers and sisters were completely fine. I'm, I was closest to my the brother next to me, even though he's like 10 years older than me. Um, we sort of bonded over like we were the nerds, the <laughs> video game nerds and stuff like that. And So in that way, compared to some other uh, young trans people, you've had a, quite a, a supportive, yeah. loving, non-judgmental experience. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned there at 16, finding out about trans. Tell us yeah. about that, because that would have been, like you say, six months before you were mm-hmm. sort of realising that that was your situation. Yeah. So tell me about hearing about it and what your thoughts were. Yeah, I had kind of an idea of what trans people were. But then at that age, that was that year was kind of the year the whole Caitlyn Jenner thing happened. And it was, it was just sort of, it was sort of shoved. I, it wasn't shoved by anybody else, but it was shoved sort of upon me. And it was brought, brought me to the right realisation that I was trans. It was, it was there for about, I'd say, six months before that. It was there in me and I sort of had like that niggling feeling that I was trans. And I was online, I was watching every YouTube video. I was watch, I was on like Reddit and reading up on all LGBT people, trans people, everything. I was like, at the time I thought it was just, I just had a, a, a like a very like big interest in what trans people were without like telling myself that I was trans, you know. Yeah. And sort of coming to the realisation, it took me a while to be okay with it myself before I could even imagine telling anybody else that the way I was feeling. Before that, up to 16 and before Caitlyn Jenner, I suppose your life can be <laughs> divided into BC yeah. and AC. Yeah. Um, so before Caitlyn, mm-hmm. you're wanting to play with the toys and having girls as best friends mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Had that been uh, something you had struggled with at all as having been assigned yeah. the gender of boy or were, was because you had such a supportive life what, was there no issues at all? I always felt, I always felt like I was different somehow within me, I guess. Um, and I never knew what it was. Um, at one point when I came out before I came out as trans, I came out as a gay boy. So I thought that was it. That was, that was me. That was the the difference I was feeling inside. Um and how was that when you came out as gay? Um, I was I was extremely nervous, but I I like wrote a, like a little note out to my family and just gave it to them, and then left the room. <laughs> and you you kind of just expect the worst, kind of like you know your family will be one hundred percent supportive, but then there's that like little one percent that's like they they might hate me for this, you know. And it's based on like no evidence you've seen from them. It's just that little part of your brain that's like it's going to end badly, you know. But they, did, but they were fine. No, they were totally fine. Yeah, they, they were like, as I'm just me. They don't care as long as I'm happy. So you had this education from Caitlyn Jenner. Uh, we can thank her for that. <laughs> so there's slightly more problematic things yeah. around it. But but she, I suppose, she did help a lot of people yeah. uh, from that point of view. And she was such a uh, mainstream figure. She started people talking about it a lot more. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so we should we should give her kudos mm-hmm. for that as well. Um, but it, you say it took you a while to accept it yourself. Mm-hmm. So what were your struggles in that regard? I was... I was 
extremely uncomfortable with my like maleness and masculinity, but also I was so uncomfortable trying to um, trying to express myself more femininely as well because it was so new to me. I was had never tried to do that before when I was growing up. I was I was totally comfortable through my childhood. I I wasn't one of these kids who was like a boy that wanted to wear dresses or anything like that. I that wasn't me. It kind of all hit me at puberty sort of. And then the feelings got stronger and stronger until I found out at 16. It's just a lot to like process yourself. It's like you're changing your whole being, I guess. Um, And then you have to, once you're sort of a tiny amount comfortable in yourself, you have to like show this person to everyone else and tell them how you want to be, how you want to live, how you feel. And how was that? Did you do the letter thing again or did you? <laughs> no, uh, I was um, I was attending like um, a counsellor, um, a local counsellor because I was dealing with anxiety and depression and it was all it was all relating to that as well. And basically I told I told my counsellor how I was feeling and both my counsellor and I told my parents together which it made it a lot easier. And what was your parents' reaction? They were they were a lot more shocked than they were when I came out as gay. They were it was this whole new th- thing to them. They had barely heard anything about being trans. Um I guess they thought thought they were losing a child. They you're kind of losing a son, but you're gaining a daughter, so I can see from their point of view they thought I was losing who I was. But they had their like stresses and anxieties about it, but it, they never really affected me. Like they were 100% supportive still. They were just worried about me. And what about your brothers and sisters? My my brother I'm closest to, he he was he was, he didn't care really. He's the same thing as long as I'm happy. Um, and then my other brothers and sisters, it was kind of the same reaction. They're, they don't mind at all. They're just, and they've finally like gotten the hang of like using my new name and new pronouns and everything. It just takes a while for everyone to get used to it, but they're 100% support. And using someone's, other name, the mm-hmm. name you were when you were assigned a boy, mm-hmm. uh, it's called dead naming. Is that right? Yeah, it's called dead naming a lot. I don't really like the term or use it that much. I just say old name, I guess, because people say it like dead name, as in the person who used that name is dead now. But I feel it's I'm I'm still the same person. I just changed my name. So what if somebody does call you your old name um, or somebody who doesn't realise or is Mm. taking a long time to get Mm. their head around it? How do you feel about that? Um, I feel at this point, I I don't really care. I don't pay any mind. Um, A while back, about a year ago, I'd say I would have felt extremely uncomfortable and I would have just, I wouldn't have said anything to them, but I would have just sort of internalised it and felt 
sort of sad about it and depressed. But um, the only times that happens now is usually family and it's usually accidental times, you know. You've been on quite the journey then since 16 to your 20 now. How are you now and how are you with, you know, the feelings that you've had and and adapting to, I suppose, it's fair to say a kind of new mm-hmm. type of existence or a new life? Yeah. Well, I feel like my my gender and the way I feel it changes every day, every day <laughs> basically. Um, I'm a lot different than, say, a year after I came out. A year after I came out, I, w- I had my... Like I grew my hair out past my shoulders. <laughs> I was hyper feminine. I had to wear skirts. I had to wear dresses. I had to do all of this. But now I'm, I'm, I fit more in the middle, I guess, between male and female. I like to present feminine sometimes and I like to present androgynous a lot more of the time. And I'm a lot more comfortable that way. But I'm also very comfortable being perceived as a female as well so and that's where I came into me figuring out I was more queer and non-binary as well which basically just explains how I feel like I feel in between male and female um and I guess it's if it's on a scale it's like a little bit toward a little bit extra towards the female side but still in the middle yeah, which is interesting because when we think of trans women or, you know, and I say we, I mean people who might not be as um, expert as other people or who don't have that lived experience to, to fall back on, we think it's somebody who's transitioned to a woman mm-hmm. and that's the fully, that's what they want to yeah. be, a woman, or mm-hmm. that's what they are, a yeah. woman. Um, but you're sort of saying, even though, would you call yourself a trans woman? Yeah. But yeah. you're you're actually slightly more in between. Yeah, my if I have to use a label, I would use like a queer trans woman or a non-binary trans woman. I think that's really interesting that you've kind of come into this. You said, I feel like a, a different gender every day mm-hmm. and that you're kind of comfortable with that. Yeah. That one day you might wake up and feel very much like expressing your femininity. Yeah. Another day, the androgynous thing might be something more. Mm-hmm. And and are you you're comfortable with that? Yeah. And it, it, it sort of comes down to like the normal thing of like, even like a cis woman, she might wake up and not feel like wearing makeup that day or she might feel like wearing trousers instead of a dress. It's basically almost the same thing. But instead of me just not feeling like wearing makeup that day, I might just feel a little bit more androgynous than feminine. You know, like gender is completely like a performance, basically. You're not on a stage, but you're just adorning your body with whatever whatever clothes you want and it's just showing basically who you are inside it doesn't matter what kind of clothes you wear I guess It's great that you've um, come on board with the Youth Work Ireland which has this new resource and it's particularly for young trans people in rural areas Mm -hmm. so could you talk a little bit about you mentioned the tiny tiny village you grew up in so you know more than anyone what it's like growing (laughs) up in in a rural place I mean being trans anywhere wherever you live wherever in the world is difficult Mm -hmm. we hope that things have got a bit better but still there's a lot of um, barriers and challenges and uh, a lot of stigma and transphobic bullying and all that kind of thing to deal with. So can you talk us through maybe why something like this resource is needed, first of all, like yeah. from your perspective of coming from a rural place? Mm-hmm. So it's it's extremely helpful in regards even just to peer support. It's great to just meet people who 
you can relate to that identify the same way you do. And we might have might identify exactly the same way, but we're completely different and we're we're sort of opening up ourselves to different people's experiences. And in even just that way, it's helpful. But um, even just educating in schools, um, teacher training and stuff like that, teaching, teaching teachers what trans people are, how to support them, you know, educating like other students in schools on what trans people are. We're not this big, like scary thing, you know, it's there's a lot of like stigma towards it. There's like, there's this like stereotype that a trans woman is this scary man in a dress in some parts of the world. Like, and I find that some rural parts of Ireland still believe that kind of ideology. Like, I think the support is, is so important because we're basically just making ourselves more visible um, and we're we're just normalizing the trans experience basically hopefully one day there won't be like a, a second glance at a trans person in public um, and I think this is a big step towards that and with Youth Work Ireland and the DCYA and the funding through that, it's just amazing what they're doing and trans people and trans young people are so thankful for them. Like, it's way back when I was in school, like, I wouldn't, I didn't know what a trans person was, so to see this happening in schools now, it's, it's incredible, like. The resources, materials, and it's going into schools, and mm. it's going to be explaining. And just to say a few of the things that they've let us know about in mm. terms of growing up trans, that there's more of a chance of being ostracised from a smaller yeah. rural community than when than when you're in an urban situation because you're being different and there's, mm-hmm. there's fewer people, and and it's harder to date in a rural mm-hmm. community as well because there's a small pool of people and everyone knows everyone, so it can make yeah. it more difficult. Have you experienced yeah, that? Yeah, dating is. I haven't faced a lot of transphobia in my life um, out in public or if you're just like going to the local town. I've never experienced one issue of transphobia, but I find dating is the one area that I get the most transphobia. That and online dating is it's when you're a trans woman and you're I'm bisexual myself, so I'm attracted to men. And the way I align myself is I'm attracted to men and any other gender, basically. That's my definition of bisexual. But when you're when you're out there and your pool is a bunch of straight men in rural Ireland, it's not to like bash them or anything, but it's just they hear a trans woman and they automatically, their automatic reaction is to ask what's in your pants. And it's, it's all obsessed with that. It's, it's never to just like get to know you as a person basically. And it's mostly all online dating because in rural Ireland, it's like no way you can really meet anyone 
and feel safe as a trans person. Um, if you're putting yourself out there in public, if you're at a bar or whatever, you would have to, to stay safe. You would have to tell the person out straight you're trans, but also that'll just put you in the middle of something dangerous then too. So That's very hard. Yeah. That question, what's in your pants, is something that, it, it, maybe not just those straight men in rural countries, it seems to be what people go to a lot in terms of what stage people's transition are yeah. at, but it's an inappropriate, mm-hmm. I suppose, question. Yeah, it's like, I I wouldn't ask anybody else that, whether you're straight, cis, trans, whatever. You know, it's it's an, an extremely odd question to ask a stranger on the internet you've only started talking to, like... <laughs> It even goes like you could have like a connection with someone and have like full blown conversations and talk for days and then you tell them you're trans and it's you either get harassed or you get blocked straight away in some instances. And then some some people are extremely polite about it, but they're like, I've never met a trans person. I, I don't know anything about trans people. I wouldn't be comfortable seeing you that way. Let's talk about some of the the way that you're being supported by this resource. And um, one of the things that they said, what the material is that don't make assumptions about a person's gender Mm -hmm. based on how they present physically. Mm -hmm. Can you tease that out a little bit? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of ways people express themselves and you can't really, you can't really guess. And it's kind of, kind of rude to even try guessing. um, There are lots of, different trans people out there who aren't out fully in public, so they might present a certain way, but they'd also be be extremely uncomfortable if you misgender them, then there might be people that present androgynously. But even if you see them and you see you think, oh, that's a woman or that's a man, you could be you could be disrespecting them if you misgender them or try to guess what their gender is. It's best to just, if you're interested in them, you want to talk to them, just basically ask for their pronouns. I wouldn't go as far as asking if they're a man or a woman or ask if they're trans, because if you're in a group setting in public, that can put them in danger as well. But even just a little step of like asking their pronouns is is so more affirming to trans people. Okay. Um, they're asking people to educate themselves on trans issues so that we know how to use the correct Mm -hmm. terms and language because this is something that comes up again and again. I think some people um, genuinely don't know the words to use Mm -hmm. or can't get their head around it, especially people who are older maybe and haven't grown up with them. Have you got some kind of um, understanding of that or do you feel kind of intolerant of that? I mean, I understand it completely. It even with like family and stuff like that, it, it takes a while to get used to it. But as long as you're open and you're honest, if you have a, a trans person to talk to about these things or even just researching on the internet, as long as you're open to educating yourself and open to just being respectful, basic, basic respect is all we're asking for. Um, and there's another thing here which says support the young trans person even if you initially think it might be a phase mm-hmm. and trust that they know themselves better yeah. than you do. Well, my view on it is even if it is a phase, at least they're 
finding more comfort in themselves. They're exploring who they are, whether that be through gender or sexuality or whatever. They're they're basically finding themselves and yeah, they're finding comfort in themselves. So even if it is a phase, I don't see why that would be a problem. If they change their mind like three months, six months, a year, five years down the line, at least they've explored themselves and they know what makes them comfortable and what makes them happy. Mm. Um, Julie, do you feel accepted in your community now? And obviously your family are very mm. supportive and always have been, but are there still challenges there in, in your place where you live? In the community, I feel 100% accepted. Um, even like locally in the little village where I'm from, um, about a year after coming out publicly, um, I made a, like a whole after coming out to my family, I made a whole like Facebook post after after a while because I was just I didn't know how to address it to like every person in the local area. So basically whoever was friends with me on Facebook saw this that I was trans and I had this new name and I was going by these new pronouns and I had some great experiences with um just some of my even primary school friends I, I saw about a year after coming out and they just took to the new name and the new pronoun straight away and they were completely friendly with me and they were so happy for me and it was basically like nothing had changed, which I was I was happy about. But I know that's not the experience every trans person has. I'm just grateful I had a good experience. And Julie, is it okay to ask about what sort of treatment you've had or that kind of thing in terms of hormonal? Or if that's not, then that's absolutely fine. Yeah. You could not. Um, I haven't started any any hormonal treatment or anything yet. Um, basically, I, I've been waiting more than 22 months now on different waiting lists and stuff like that. Um, through like the rural mental health services um i find are aren't that educated on trans issues and how to treat trans people even like in the the medical profession it's just rural ireland just seems to be way behind um i've i've been assessed twice to try and diagnose myself diagnose me with um gender dysphoria, which you need to start hormone treatment. But both of those diagnoses were um, inconclusive because my mental health teams didn't know how, basically how to do the diagnosis. Um, and the treatment I've had in in Lachlanstown, the main, the main hospital treating trans people, is amazing but their hands are tied when you don't have your diagnosis so basically I think rural mental health services and medical professionals have a long way to to go in my opinion um I just feel like they need more training to do with trans people and LGBT people in general yeah um, but you would like this treatment, is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I've I, I should be 
fingers crossed, I'll be starting in July. So um, I've been waiting a long, long time for it. So once it comes, I'll, I'll be extremely happy. And going back to the non-binary aspect then, will taking that kind of treatment, will that change? I mean, sorry if this is an ignorant question. I'm just wondering, you know, you talk about being in between yeah. male and female. So if you then take more hormones mm-hmm. uh, that will to be more female, mm-hmm. will that change that non-binary sort of status, do you think? I have had my worries about it, um, but I don't think it will. The parts of myself that I am... I'm extremely uncomfortable with the more masculine parts, hormones and testosterone blockers and stuff like that will lessen those effects on myself. And I think hormone treatment in general will help my mental health a lot more. If there's anyone listening, Julie, who really finds it difficult getting their head around trans issues and doesn't understand, what do you think, what do you want to say to those people or how do you talk to people in that space? Because I feel like there's a lot of well-meaning people and I don't think, I think hopefully this might be Pollyanna-ish, but that most people just are live and let live and want people to have a happy life. And there's a minority of people who are really bullying or transphobic and horrible but there's other people who just don't understand Mm. and have reached an age where they just they can't conceive of anything except Mm. man and woman and that's the way it is my myself I try to be that person that will be the understanding person and the helpful person Um, I think it'll progress society more if you're just open to listening to other people's opinions and the way they feel about it Um, and People that really don't know how to support trans people, like coming back to the thing like normalizing pronoun use. If you if you give your own pronoun, if you're meeting a new person, and if you ask the new person's pronoun, it's the smallest little thing you can do, but it's extremely helpful to just normalize it and make trans people more comfortable. Um, and the thing about like not judging people's appearance and trying to guess their gender or how they identify, that's a big thing as well. And there is a view that that we're trying to get rid of gender altogether, but I find that labels are good for some people. Labels are a safety thing. There are people like labels to feel comfortable in themselves, and that's great, but there are people who who will use different labels other than male and female or there are people who won't use any labels at all to describe themselves and that's great too. You've brought in this amazing, lovely uh, book, which is called Young and Trans in Rural Ireland. And this is the new resource by Youth Work Ireland, mm-hmm. which is one of its one of a kind, really. Yeah. And it's specifically targeting ways to support young trans people mm-hmm. in the countryside, in rural areas, um, isolated areas where they don't get it. And it's a guide to supporting young trans people living in r- rural Ireland. I should mention youthworkireland.ie, mm-hmm. where people can get this and it can go into schools yeah. and it can talk... It's just a really, as I said, unique uh, resource. Why is it so important? Well, the resource was put together through um, two workshops um, funded by the Youth Work Ireland and the DCYA. Um, And basically it's extremely important because it was made with all the information provided by young trans people from rural settings all over the country. And basically... It even has like quotes from our workshops yeah. from individual trans people who were there at, at the time. And it's just, it's made by 
young trans people to educate people on young trans people. There's a great quote here. People say it's just a trend or a phase to be trans and that you're only doing it to be cool or popular, but being trans doesn't make you cool or popular. That's unfortunate, (laughs) Julie. You become, basically, (laughs) you come out as trans and it puts a target on your back in some cases. Yeah, and uh, there's another one here. Being young and trans allows you to understand yourself a lot more as you have to go through a harder process, Mm -hmm. which is also interesting. You've had to do a lot more soul-searching, perhaps. Yeah, and even like, people who want to medical transition it's like I said the long waiting list just to be comfortable in your own body yeah yeah if, if you're not going to do that just on a whim or yeah. because it's trendy or yeah. cool which as you said it unfortunately doesn't make you yeah. popular and cool <laughs> yeah. um for a young person you have to take on adult responsibilities to advocate for yourself mm-hmm. cis people take for granted they will grow up go to college get married but for trans people all these life milestones take much more mm-hmm. effort. And that's a yeah. really important point. Mm-hmm. Have you experienced that idea as well? Yeah, basically just to be yourself, you have to go through, jump so, through so many hoops, even to just like change your name. Um, as I said, like dating and stuff like that, it's much harder to find somebody who will be comfortable with you because you're a trans person. And there are some people who just don't even can't get their head around using the word cis. That's mm-hmm. a, you know this idea that when you're comfortable with the birth, uh, yeah. with the gender you were assigned at birth, that makes you mm-hmm. cisgender and yeah. kind of don't like that label. Yeah. But again, it's it's you talked about safety mm-hmm. and these words can help. Yeah. And cis people, I think they take it as more of a derogatory term where it just it just really describes who you are. It's exactly the same as saying a trans person, a straight person, a gay person. It's it's not a bad thing. It's just, it's great that you are comfortable with the gender you were assigned at birth, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I really enjoyed talking to you, Julie, and you. I think this resource is brilliant because it's going to it's going to help people have a language, I suppose, mm-hmm. to know how to speak about these things. Because I do think we're all on a massive learning curve. Yeah. Um, the people we need to listen to most of all are people who, like yourself, who have the lived experience of being trans and knowing what it's like. And that's what's great about this resource is it seems to have come very much from young yeah. trans people who know what needs to be said mm-hmm. and you're one of them so I and I also just want to say as well I think it's it's not easy coming and talking about your really personal journey your personal yeah. intimate life which you know you really only want to talk to your friends and family about mm-hmm. really or um, partners or whatever so I just want to say thank you for, for coming thank in you. is there anything else you'd like to say to people who might be struggling or finding things a little bit difficult or to trans people too who um, who might be listening who I'd say are quite inspired by the way you're speaking about mm-hmm. All I have to say really is if you feel like you might be trans or you are trans and you want to start expressing a certain way, whether that be masculine or feminine, just do it, take your time. Um, there's no right way to be trans. Um, and obviously if you're not in a safe environment to do so, just be careful and even explore your gender in private if you have to just make yourself comfortable and safe while doing so and then to people who have goodwill and want to understand and get their head around it more but find it a little bit overwhelming what would you say to them I'd say be honest and patient with trans people Um, we're not these scary angry people that we're perceived as in the media and stuff like that um 
can basically just come talk to us, read up on trans issues. And most of us are here to listen and help out if we can. And I must tell people, because they can't see you, but you mm. have incredibly brilliant green hair. <laughs> you have these very cool earrings that are kind of like discs yeah. and um, these lovely brown cords. I, do, I, I have to just say I like your style. Thank you And so it much. is that androgynous, very cool, trendy. Mm. Your makeup is also amazing Thank as well. You. I could not do that um, myself. Um, but you, you obviously, like everybody else, you're an individual. Mm. You're, you're, you're Julie. You're not yeah. just a trans woman. Mm-hmm. You're, you're a person in your own yeah. right. And I think that's sometimes what people do uh, is that othering is putting people in a blanket mm-hmm. and saying you're all like this or which is not yeah. true for anybody yeah, we should just be able to express ourselves whatever way we want cis, trans, whatever you know well hopefully that's the world we're going to come to we're in a place now where we're trying to get there and it's yeah. it's difficult and it's messy and it's painful no more for trans people than anybody else obviously uh, but hopefully we are making mm-hmm. progress and I think this new resource is is going to do great things for yeah. that So thanks very much, Julie, for coming in. And that's it for today. Thank you very much to Bernice Harrison, Amy O'Connor and to Julie there for talking to me on today's show. And remember, you can subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and you can always find us on irishtimes.com. If you want to get in touch, we're on Twitter and Facebook at IT Women's Podcast or you can email us on thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. If you like what we do, then please do head along to iTunes, give us a review and, of course, tell all your friends about it too. The podcast is produced by myself, Roisin Ingle, and by Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Until next time, thank you for listening. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.